This week, the Supreme Court ruled 7-2, upholding the Affordable Care Act. The Biden-Putin summit was pretty underwhelming, and Tucker Carlson says he believes the government played a hand in the January 6th Capitol riot. My name's Noah Huey, and this is Under the Stars. Welcome back to another week, everyone. I hope you had a fantastic week. Um, there, there's a, uh, a couple of things that we're going to talk about this week, some pretty interesting things, and a very interesting revelation uh, involving the Supreme Court of the United States. So we're going to go ahead and get into that. But before we do begin, I'd like to remind you to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-U-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. And uh, to support the show through merch and my books on the shop section of my website, available in the link of my Instagram bio, or if you search up Under the Stars with Noah Huey on Google, it is the first thing that comes up. Not to mention, my new book, MAGA, The Trump Experiment, is out currently. Uh, It's been available since Monday the 14th. So if you're interested in reading about my opinion on the former president, going through all four years of his presidency... Uh, feel free to look that up on Amazon, and it's in the shop section of my website, so make sure to give it a give it a look. Thanks so much. Um, the first piece of information that I wanted to talk about was that new revelations reveal that the Department of Justice under former President Trump actually took much more dangerous actions than we were, I suppose, than we would say we had a, a thought he he had. Now, this isn't the first of revelations that have, that has come out. Uh, revealing that the Department of Justice under the former president has taken some pretty dangerous actions, some pretty far-reaching actions. Not to say that this is a, the first of their kind. President Obama is pretty common, commonly known for some of the actions he tried to have undertaken as uh, president with the Department of Justice and violations of information and First Amendment rights and such. But um, what makes it so important to talk about is the fact that this kind of reveals the... Uh, the the facade that Trump put on. Something that I talk about a lot when I talk about the former president is that he sold himself on, I'm the everyman, I am the Washington outsider, and that he was going to be the savior of America through that supposed identity. But his actions seem to be speaking louder than his words, and that his all of his actions, and with this, these new revelations coming out involving his uh, abuse of the Department of Justice, kind of... They, they tell a certain truth that I believe many Republicans probably aren't very willing to hear right now, uh, especially since it's basically their entire political strategy with the 2022 mid- midterms being uh, so heavily uh, debated already. And we're not even halfway through and we're not even well, I suppose we, we are getting close to halfway through the uh, first year of uh, Biden's presidency. But nonetheless, 
This is from USA Today. Former White House counsel Don McGahn was told by Apple last month that the Justice Department subpoenaed information about an account he owned in February 2018. Two sources familiar with the matter told the New York Times. At, at the time, Apple was barred by authorities from telling McGahn that it had sought his information. It is unclear what the DOJ was investigating or if McGahn was the primary target of the inquiry, the Times reported. The revelation is the latest in a series of reports finding the Trump-era Justice Department monitored and and pursued private information on journalists and Democratic lawmakers. It comes just days after the Justice Department's independent watchdog announced it was launching a board of investigation into whether the Trump administration and its two attorney generals improperly seized the phone records of House Democratic lawmakers, their staff, and journalists as part of, the, as part of an aggressive 2018 leak investigation. On Friday, the DOJ Inspector General Michael Horowitz confirmed he would launch an investigation, adding his watchdog agency would look beyond the subpoenas of two, excuse me, would look beyond subpoenas to other legal authorities used to obtain communication records in connection with recent investigations of alleged unauthorized disclosures of information to the media by government officials. According to the Times, Apple told McGann it cooperated with the subpoena and did not tell him what information that the firm provided to the government. Um... Sorry, I wanted to check my recording and see if it was still going on because it's been having some technical difficulties as of late. No, yeah, it's still going. Okay, sorry. I'm I, having some anxiety about that because I got some notifications when I was doing my tests that it wasn't working right. If It's fine if it doesn't. I've got my camera up and rolling, so if I lose any audio, I can just replace it in there anyway. Anyways, off that subject, <laughs> off that subject, What's interesting to me about this is, again, really the political implication of it first lies in the in the matter of Trump has sold himself as being the Washington outsider that doesn't play by their rules, blah, 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 blah. All this rhetorical nonsense, in my opinion, manipulation, flat out, to try and get people to support him, to support his his new Republican Party. And there are plenty of Republicans that have been following under this, this kind of measure to plant themselves as the anti-establishment, you know, men and women of the people that we should all trust. But the fact that these new revelations are coming out, that Trump used the Department of Justice in such a corrupt manner, which is very Nixon-like, if you ask me. There are a couple different presidents I would align Trump with, one of them being Thomas Jefferson, ironically the founder of the Democratic Party, and the other one being Richard Nixon and his obsessive uh, uh, impulse to try and punish people for politically not aligning and agreeing and doing what he wanted. And Trump's very much like that, which is a big reason I'm not a fan of him at all, because Trump is no different than any other political demagogue on the face of the earth. He thinks his ideology is superior to all else and that everyone should do it or they should shut up and sit down. It's a sort of, uh, despotic belief, if you ask me, but most people don't tend to see that aspect of it, and they choose not to. They blind themselves to it, so we can't blame them. But the fact of the matter is, this just reveals that the former president is no better than anyone he's ever criticized, ever. I mean, all these new revelations coming out, which, by the way, you could come to the conclusion that he's no better than any of the people that he criticizes before any of these revelations came out that he abused the Department of Justice in such a manner to punish political... Um, dissidents and to hunt down people who criticized him in an almost scary fashion. You could come to that conclusion before we realized all of these new things that were trying that were being hidden in the dark by the 
uh, Department of Justice. The fact of the matter is this just further makes clear what was already obvious about Donald Trump. He's no different than anyone he's ever criticized, and he, there, he was never going to be the guy that drained the swamp or whatever. He simply saw an opportunity, he saw what people wanted, and he exploited their fears and their bigotries and manipulated those people for political power. And it's 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 telling to me that my theory about him about this whole hypocrisy i suppose was in fact correct and it then reveals to me that the fact that the republican party is going to cling on to him in such a manner and basically ignore all of these revelations because let's be honest even though all these revelations have come out, I've yet to hear a single Republican or a single conservative acknowledge their existence, and those who have have dismissed it as, oh, well, it's okay, though. And that's what Republicans and Democrats do. That's what liberals and conservatives do. They, they dismiss their wrongdoings because this is going to be a strange analogy to make, so stick with me here. They're like China. China is a country that is incredibly self-righteous and basically narcissistic. They believe they're the best thing that happened to earth ever and that everyone should be like them and this is because they're driven by an ideology they're driven by the one-party state of the communist uh the the ccp the chinese communist party and so political parties and ideologies are in their inherent nature a lot like china i mean i should say it's the other way around china is this way because of their political ideolo ideology and of the party running them it's not the vice versa and so that's why we see a strange similarity in that sense that republicans and democrats conservatives and liberals they blind themselves to these types of wrongdoings that people especially major figureheads in the modern day of their ideology have made because they can't admit that they have ever done wrong why do you think tenement square is like non-existent in chinese uh history it's because if they were to admit that they could be responsible for something so atrocious and so disgusting then they would have to admit that they aren't perfect and that's something that no ideology and no political party on earth would ever want to admit unless you happen to be one of the few good members of it who has any integrity whatsoever but that's we're talking that's the fringe that's not the the basis of these political parties and i think this goes for basically the entire planet this is why i believe political parties are a complete they just don't fit with democracies because political parties don't understand a republican democracy such as the united states of america the united states of america is a very complex sometimes overly complicated government and it was created in such a sense so that people's freedoms could be safeguarded at every single humanly possible level to ensure that those freedoms can't be easily taken away. But Democrats and Republicans don't care about any of that nonsense. They would rather wipe it all clean and make it a utopia of conservative or liberal ideology. What they don't realize is that's not physically possible. China is an example of that. And so, but instead of admitting any of this and coming to this very rational, basic conclusion, they instead ignore when these massive wrongdoings by people, figureheads, I mean, not just like, like it's not like Billy Bob Joe, the head of the Republican Party in Buncombe County, North Carolina. We're talking, this is Donald Trump, the former president, the basically the figurehead of the Republican Party in 2020 and 2021. This guy made such a massive screw up in such a horrible way, intruding on people's personal lives for nonsensical political reasons. And instead of admitting that and 
distancing themselves from him, the Republican Party instead basically ignores or excuses his wrongdoings and embraces him further. It's part of the dogmatic belief system in which they have ingrained in their heads that they refuse to let go of. It's part of that, what I used to call, uh, ideological slavery. I try not to call it that because I don't like to make plenty, many of many connotations to slavery because they're very different things. But there is a form of suppression going on in such a sense in that they the the cognitive dissonance of their ideology forces them not to be a free-minded individual who's willing to say, "Well, that was wrong. He shouldn't have done that." And as you further assess the evidence, you see that that's a very common uh, thread in Donald Trump's personal and political history. But that's something I don't expect the Republican Party to do anytime soon because of the um, ignorant and uh, kind of baseless, nonsensical, superficial Republicanness, I suppose you could say, going on right now. I mean, they're more concerned about winning the 2022 elections with Trump-like candidates because they want to beat the Democrats into the ground. That's all they care about, political power and ideological superiority. And so as a result, they're going to ignore such a big revelation. Um, just recently, the Supreme Court ruled in a 7-2 to decision upholding the Affordable Care Act, the most recent in... Um, the most recent in a basically com like a total undoing of Republican challenges in it in the, in the legal system. This is from NPR. The U.S. Supreme Court upheld the Affordable Care Act for the third time on Thursday, leaving the place leaving in place the broad provisions of the law enacted by Congress in 2010. The vote was 7-2. to two. The opinion, written by Justice Stephen Breyer, was joined by Chief Justice John Roberts and Justices Clarence Thomas, Sonor excuse me, Sonia Sotomayor, Ellen Keegan, Elena Kagan, I'm not reading reading these right, Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. Justices Samuel Alito and Neil Gorsuch, Gorsuch excuse me, dissented. They would have struck down the most popular parts of the law, including the provision barring discrimination based on pre-existing medical conditions. But the majority decision threw out the challenge on the law on the grounds that Texas and other objecting GOP-dominated states were not required to pay anything under the mandate provision and thus had no standing to bring the challenge to the court. Quote, to have standing, a plaintiff must allege personal injury fairly traceable to the defendant's allegedly unlawful conduct and likely be readdressed by the, rec by the requested relief. But no plaintiff has shown such an injury, the court said. The result of the decision, according to the most experts, is that Obamacare would appear to be secure for the foreseeable future. If Obamacare is going to be dramatically changed, that's something that Congress will have to do, said Case Western Law Professor Jonathan Adler. The courts will police the enforcement of this law like it does every other large regulatory statute, but if the, fundament but if the fundamentals are going to be changed, Congress is going to have to pass legislation to do that. Former President Barack Obama hailed the court's decision on his signature, legislative achievement. This ruling reaffirms what we have long known to be true. The Affordable Care Act is here to stay, he said on Twitter. President Biden, in a statement, called the opinion a major victory for all Americans benefiting from this groundbreaking and life-changing law. Congressional Republicans, who have made repealing the ACA a centerpiece of their political strategy, appear to have acknowledged that reality. In a statement, Representative Kevin McCarthy, the House Republican leader and two of his top aides, said the court's decision does not change the fact that Obamacare failed to meet its promises and is hurting hardworking American families. This statement did not mention a vow to repeal and replace Obamacare, a long-standing Republican promise. The mandate 
the most controversial provision of the law, was again at the core of the Thursday's decision. It required that people either buy health insurance or pay a penalty. In 2012, it was upheld by a 5-4 to four vote, with Roberts casting the decisive, decisive fifth vote on the grounds that the penalty fell within the taxing power of Congress. In 2017, however, Congress got rid of the penalty after a Congressional Budget Office concluded that the law would continue to function effectively without it. That prompted the challenges, challengers to go back to court, contending that because the penalty had been zeroed out, it was no longer a tax or a mandate. What's more, they contended, because the mandate was so interwoven with the rest of the ACA, the whole law must be struck down. Over 31 million Americans have access, health, have access to health insurance through the ACA, a record high since the law's inception, according to the White House. In addition, the Urban Institute reported in May that the ACA premiums have gone down each of the last three years. Many of the provisions of the ACA are now taken for granted. Up to 135 million people are covered by the ban by the ban on discrimination against those with pre-existing mental conditions. Or, excuse me, pre-existing conditions, not mental conditions. <laughs> So yeah, this is a pretty historic vote, and uh, I read enough to kind of cover all the important things about that, but I do, I have no general opinion. I don't think I've talked about the ACA very much on here, and it's because it's something that, it's one of those things that I only know enough about it to really listen to what other people have to say, but I thought it was important to mention it nonetheless, because the one thing that I do believe about this, and there's one thing that um, the justices made I. I think it was Chief Justice Roberts who said this before, and I think he said it again um, after the ruling of this decision, is this, the court does, is likely never going to strike down the ACA. Something that Republicans are really banking on right now is that the court will somehow strike down the ACA, excuse me, the ACA, and that's going to be the end of it. But according to, I believe, Chief Justice, Chief Justice Roberts, it may have just been an expert, but I believe it was Chief Justice Roberts, the court will never be the one to strike down the legislation altogether. In fact, that will likely be Congress itself if that ever happens. And I think it highlights a very important distinction that needs to be made in the effect that the court needs to be, it has to be, this isn't like I'm asking, this is a requirement. It has to be the apolitical uh, engine of government. It has to be. Like, I would prefer the Congress to be apolitical and just work on a problem-solution basis, but clearly that's never going to happen. But the court has to be the apolitical branch of government because none of the other ones are. I said, Did I say branch? Yeah, I guess that, yeah, branch works. I don't know why. None of the other ones are, okay? The other branches of government, every other extension of our federal government is corrupted with politics so so egregiously, it, it genuinely makes me upset. But the, the, the Supreme Court has to be the apolitical option because without the Supreme Court's apolitical, simply legal, uh, uh, not advice, but jurisdiction... Um, the whole thing could come crumbling down. Because, as I've said before, these ideologies, the politics, politics cannot sustain a, a country. Politics cannot sustain a country. It's not doable. It's just not doable in any sense. Like, I've come to, I'm, I'm starting to come to the conclusion that our current political system, the 
Democrats versus Republicans, political parties, ideologies, everything you've ever been taught about politics, I think every last part of it is wrong and should be ignored. I think all of it is simply a tool to protect the political and corporate interests of those who are in power. And those who are in power care only about ideological superiority. No party and no ideology on earth has ever been able to successfully run a country without it crumbling in less than 400 years. It's like a speed run to see how, which country can get destroyed the fastest. And so I think our government needs this apolitical branch that does not care about conservatives or liberals or any of that stupid nonsense. Because otherwise, things like the, these, these landmark decisions that affect hundreds of millions of Americans would be, we would be playing with the lives of people and the livelihoods of people for the pure fact of, I, I got you, Democrat libtard, like, shut up. Go outside. Nobody cares. We're, we're, we're talking about the health care of, what did that say, 134 million people? I'm going to make sure that's the right number. No, excuse me, not 134. 31. Okay, I, I went a little over the, the fence with that one. 31 million people. That's still a lot, okay? That is still a very large chunk of people. Okay, we, we can't play around with numbers of people like they aren't important because they are. Okay, people are important, especially when you're in a government position. If you're not willing to accept that truth, get out. The fact of the matter is, this landmark decision highlights the fact that legislation like the ACA needs to be addressed in the branches that are not apolitical. The, the, the political parties in our country need to stop trying to manipulate the courts to become political. Like, like I hate it. I, I get physically furious when people describe justices as conservative or liberal. Like, one, I don't think we should be calling them that because then that ties politics into it. And politics is stupid and dumb and doesn't work. And two... I don't think our judges should be political in any sense. I think once you become a judge, a judge, especially a justice on the Supreme Court of the United States, all of your politics needs to go out the door. You need to give up on all of your political proclivities, all of your ideological beliefs and values. They have to go out the window. Goodbye. You're leaving. And you're never coming back. Unless that person happens to retire or die. Um, because... This branch needs to be the apolitical one. It is the, like, the government needs to be at least one-third, at least one-third apolitical. Otherwise, the whole thing will come crumbling down because political governments are completely unsustainable. You can't just keep switching between ideologies in a government like this that is incredibly Republican. So there's always a different ideology in power every four to eight years. And so that's highly unsustainable. I've said this before. It's highly unsustainable because when one side's in charge, they, they do all these things, and then the other side then gets in charge, and they undo it. And you can't just keep undoing and redoing everything over and over and over again because that, that heightens political tensions among regular people. It exploits everything that makes us, as, as American average citizens, it takes everything that makes us bad and makes us worse. It heightens tensions. It destroys families. It, it, there is nothing good about politics whatsoever. It's awful. And it does not have a place in government, in my opinion, at all. But it certainly doesn't have a place in this branch of it. So that's one of the things that I think is very important about that decision. Um, on that note of manipulating the courts, 
there are lots of progressive Democrats that are urging Supreme Court Justice Breyer, 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 Breyer? I think it's Breyer, um, who I just mentioned a moment ago, to quit, to leave, and let Biden fill the seat. Um, so there's a huge, on the note of ideologies want to manipulate the courts and turn them into a political weapon against one another. This is a, a something that Democrats and Republicans love. I talked about it when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. I talked about it when Amy Coney Barrett got uh, sworn in. One thing, the, the, the control that these political entities have over the courts, which is highly dangerous given how divisive, destructive, and just flat out awful they are, is the fact that when seats open, they can fill them with justices they see as ideal. Like Trump nominated Brett Kavanaugh because he's a conservative cheerleader and he needs someone to uphold his ideology in the courts so that he can never have anything he wants taken down and by the court system. Same reason why he nominated Amy Coney Barrett. Like, do not think that politicians, especially the president, is, uh, is appointing... Um, a judge to the Supreme Court because he thinks that's an unbiased person who isn't going to like manipulate that uh, that position um, for for ideological superiority. Like that's the whole reason they pick that person. And so something that now apparently progressive Democrats are very very fervent about um, is this idea that they can just tell Justice Breyer to to, to get out to leave. Supreme Court justices can quit whenever they want, but that's supposed to be their decision, not yours. And so uh, I'm going to start reading this from the Los Angeles Times. I don't read from them much. Fearful of Republicans regaining control of the Senate next year, progressive Democrats are ramping up their calls for Supreme Court Justice Stephen G. Breyer to step down from the bench to ensure that President Biden's replacement could be confirmed while the party remained in control. Representative Ted Lieu, a Democrat from Torrance, on Tuesday joined those calls, saying it would be best for our country if the most senior justice appointed by a Democratic president stepped down by next year before Republicans have a chance to regain the Senate majority and use that power to block a Biden nominee as they did President Obama in 2016. I do believe that he should retire prior to the midterms, Lou said on CNN. Justice Pryor has been an amazing Supreme Court justice. This is a very personal decision for him. Similar calls have been made by other progressive Democrats, including Representatives Mondaire Jones and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, both of New York. Demand, excuse me, demand of New York. Something, I think there's a block here of text that's missing because it just says, oh no, that's the name of the group. Okay. Demand Justice, a liberal advocacy group that focuses on the court, stated a Breyer retire campaign in April to spur the justice to step down while there is a Democratic Senate that could replace him. The group sent a billboard truck to circle the Supreme Court with the message, Breyer retire, it's time for a black woman Supreme Court justice. There's no time to waste. Biden has vowed to use his first appointment to put a black woman on the high court. Breyer, who at 82 is the oldest justice, was appointed by President Clinton in 1994. The pressure on Breyer has mounted in the wake of comments from the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell earlier this week. He said that if Republicans regain control of the Senate in 2022, it is highly unlikely he would allow a vote on a Biden Supreme Court nominee during the last year of Biden's term. I don't think either party, if it controlled the Senate and its and is, excuse me, the Senate and is the opposing party, from the president would confirm a, Senate, a Supreme Court nominee in the middle of an election, he said on the Hugh Hewitt radio show. 
he was non-committal about a vacancy that occurred in 2023. McConnell refused to hold hearings on Obama's nominee to replace Antonin Scalia after the former justice died in 2016. The seat remained open through the 2016 election, and President Trump filled it with Justice Neil M. Gorsuch. Once viewed as inappropriate, public calls to urge the Supreme Court justices to step down have increased in recent years as the court has become more politicized. Liberals were disappointed when former Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg did not step down when Obama could have appointed a replacement with the Democratic Senate. She died in office at the end of Trump's term, and the Senate Republicans rushed through the nomination of Justice Amy Coney Barrett. So, this is a very, 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 very dangerous thing to happen. Okay, this is a sign that the political entities in our country have lost all sense of dignity in every single humanly possible respect. They do not care anymore. The, this ramped up increase of saying, we don't care about apoliticalness. We want to force the court to be our ideology so that no one can stop us from doing whatever the heck we want to do is a terrifying prospect. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat or liberal or conservative. First of all, you're all wrong. Everything you believe, it's wrong. Shut up, sit down, you're wrong. Um, secondly... This whole, like, that should be terrifying in every single humanly measurable prospect, okay? Like I just stated, this, the, the government has never functioned well under the, uh, under the guise of politics, okay? Like I said, politics sucks because no ideology on earth and no political party on the planet in the history of humanity has ever successfully been able to run a, a nation for more than 240 years. Once you get to the 240 mark, your country starts to collapse because the ideologies in it become so powerful and so power hungry that they will not stop at anything to stop. They will not let anything stop them from ascertaining all the power humanly possible. That's all they care about because they're crazy delusional people who think that only their ideology has the solutions. You're wrong in every single prospect. You're wrong. You are 100% wrong. Shut up. All of human history has dictated that you're wrong. Just because you're going to be an idiot and ignore it doesn't mean the rest of us have to play along with your stupid game. I say forget your game. Screw your game. Your game's done. It's over. Wake up and smell the coffee, man. Because we cannot continue to politically manipulate the Supreme Court, the highest court in the whole country. First of all, that's even worse, that we're not even starting with the local courts. We're shooting for the big guys, okay? We're going for the most powerful court in the country, and we're trying to manipulate so that our pathetic ideology can force anything that tries to threaten it out of the way. Democrats and Republicans have no gall. Like, what? Like, not gall. They have no dignity. Um, like, I cannot physically uh, process the the sheer power-hungry narcissism coming from the ideological tyrants who think that they are defending our liberty. They aren't. They're threatening it. This this very ramped up call to try and scare people out of the Supreme Court so that we can appoint people who agree with us is a is in its purest form tyranny in every single way. The acts of these political ideologies with the court, everything they've ever done involving the Supreme Court is an act of despotism in my view. Everything. 
everything they've ever done involving the Supreme Court is an act of despotism. Because I do not believe political ideologies have the physical capability of preserving freedom because they don't understand it. Their, their, their mental ability to understand freedom is so meek and worthless. Forget their understanding of freedom. It's stupid. They rely on exploiting everything that's bad about people and manipulating them for their fears and their hopes and their dreams for political power so they can reinforce some crazy delusional idea that their ideology is the end-all be-all to humanity's problems. Not only are they wrong, they're stupid, and they rely on everyone else to be stupid, too, to ensure that they can keep that power. And that's what they've done ever since the, this country has started. Okay? End of story. Bye-bye. See you later. And all of their actions involving the Supreme Court should be considered an incredibly dangerous attack on democracy as it stands, because when they get what they want, they will use it to crush anything that threatens their ideological superiority. You just watch and see what happens when they get an ideological majority on the Supreme Court. Just watch. Tell me I'm wrong. So, I was a little heated on that. I apologize. But it's very, very important to me that we do not let politics corrupt the Supreme Court. It is the last stand against the despotism of political ideology in the United States. So maybe I should start a movement to keep people from politicizing the court. I don't know. Ah, spilled water all over me because I got excited there. It is hot in here, but whatever. We push through. I just don't like the shirts meant to be clean anyway. Okay, while I dry off my shirt, I'm going to tell you about some things you can do. God, it's like all in there. Oh my gosh, hold on. It got like all in there. Also, I thought I turned this fan off. Apparently not. Okay. And we press on. So, something you can do while I fan off my shirt some more is follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-U-G-H-U-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. There you can find the link to my website, where if you go to the shop section, you can support the show by buying my merch or my books. In, uh, yeah, or my books. If you want to find my website, you can also just search up Under the Stars with Noah Huey on Google, and it's the first thing that comes up. You should also subscribe to my YouTube page if you're not subscribed to it on there. I don't talk about it much, but I post f the full episode. <laughs> So, you know, I post the episodes on Anchor, which goes out to Spotify and Google Podcasts and, and Apple Podcasts and all that. But if you want to see the video of me spilling water on myself and fanning my shirt and drinking like I'm dying of thirst, um, then you can subscribe to my YouTube. It's just Under the Stars with Noah Huey on YouTube. Uh, and I also post clips from some of the most important segments of my show on the channel uh, between episodes. So make sure to subscribe to that as well. Also, don't forget to check out my new book, MAGA, The Trump Experiment, available on Amazon or in the shop section of my website. Um, again, it's on my Instagram bio. And if you look up under the stars with Noah Huey on Google, it's the first thing to go up. Shop section of my website, check out MAGA, The Trump Experiment. So something that was incredibly important that happened this week was uh, President Biden met with um, Vladimir Putin of Russia. And um, while Democrats and Republicans have been coming to very political conclusions about how the success rate of this thing went, it was pretty much, it was, 
basically the most underwhelming thing I've ever seen in my life. So, this is from CNN. So, President Joe Biden's meeting Wednesday with his Russian counterpart came after months of diplomatic wrangling over the details, days of preparation with reams of research and the elaborate construction of two separate lakeside venues for the leaders to appear afterward. But after the summit had concluded, the ornate French-style manor home was locked up and the leaders were jetting in opposite directions home. The state of relations between the United States and Russia seemed about the same as before. That is not necessarily a surprise, least of all for Biden, who entered the summit with a vague and modest goal of establishing a predictable and rational relationship with Vladimir Putin. Putin's performance afterwards was certainly predictable, if not entirely rational. Ultimately, Biden set up expectations so low for his first face-to-face encounter with Putin that anything more than someone not showing up at all mounted uh, to breaking even. Even the shorter-than-expected runtime didn't portend major disputes, according to White House officials. Instead, Biden said it was a reflection of the two sides had simply run out of things to say. Quote, we looked at each other like, okay, what's next, he said. There were modest achievements, like a decision to return each other's, each country's ambassadors back to their posts and establishment and the establishment of task force on cyber attacks, perhaps the biggest new point of contention between Washington and Moscow. Both, But in both Biden and Putin's telling, the summit wasn't meant for great breakthroughs. Instead, each of it was about tr- taking stock, being honest, and moving forward. Biden's decision to convene Wednesday's summit boiled down to his essential view of foreign affairs. It's all about the person. I know we make foreign policy out to be this great, great skill that somehow is sort of like a secret code, Biden said at his concluding news conference. All foreign policy is a logical extension of personal relationships. It's the way human nature functions. Judging with those parameters, the summit seemed to have met its goals. The tone of the entire meeting was good, positive, Biden said, adding, The bottom line is, I told President Putin we need to have some basic rules of the road that we can all abide by. Putin gave somewhat of a similar description. He's a balanced and professional man, and it's clear that he's very experienced, Putin said. It it seems to me that we did speak the same language. Still, he offered no signs of altering malign behavior that has tested the West's ability and willingness to respond. And he did not alter his rhetoric, decrying Alexei Navalny and denying Russia's roles in cyber attacks. Instead, he described a frank and pragmatic three hours that had not led up, led to a deeper emotional connection. It certainly doesn't imply that we looked into each other's eyes and found a soul or swore eternal friendship, he said. So, I mean, I don't really have anything to say about this because ultimately that description fits it quite well. It was just guys talking, setting some rules and like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, and Republicans and Democrats are already jumping on this and manipulating it and trying to sell it a certain way so that they'll get more votes in the midterms. But the truth of the matter is it was... It was anticlimactic because it didn't need to be anything else. Like, I know, like, Republicans are, like, they are relying on saying that that Biden is, like, a Chinese cheerleader. He's just going to let him step right all over us. Even though, like, every action involving these foreign nations has, has been anything but bending over. Like, we have... In the first couple days of our administration, the, the Secretary of State was, was, like, having a standoff with Chinese officials. Um... And so, like, Republicans are trying to sell this image of it, and Democrats are trying to sell this image that everything was perfect, but ultimately, it was pretty lackluster. I mean, I, I did get to see some of it, but I, I didn't get to see the whole thing. And in my, in reading of, like, everything that happened, we it was basically just 
we met, we talked, we said, here are some things I need to talk about, here are some things I need to talk about. Okay, bye, I guess. And I think that's actually for the best. Because had this meeting been anything else, we would have just, like, created our, make, made our tensions worse. Republicans and Democrats' understanding of foreign policy is highly flawed by their political ideologies, which they refuse to look away from at any point in time. But ultimately, your goal should be revolving around the central point of we're here to enact business to ensure perpetual, or not perpetual, um, no, yeah, I, I suppose perpetual, perpetual friendships of sorts, and to ensure the basic security of each other's nations so that the work we do together as an international community can affect the people at home in, as a national community in a positive manner overall. And that's something that Democrats and Republicans don't understand. And even though we're facing someone like Russia or someone like even China, who I detest with all of my soul, we still need to focus in a diplomatic way before we just pull out the big guns. Or And we can't just bend over and just rely on diplomacy all the time. It requires a balance. And so I think a meeting like this, at a time like this, was actually great. It's actually a fairly good sign that while there are tensions, we can at least for now hold down the fort before we have to start going all... Re, um, before we have to go all... Um, what's it called? Reassured destruction all, again. Um, and so I think it's for the best that this meeting was pretty much lackluster. And I think, forget everything Republicans and Democrats are telling you about this meeting. Any comment made by any political ideolo ideologue on the internet or in Congress at all, ignore everything they're saying. They're just trying to manipulate you for the midterm elections. The truth about this thing is, is it was lackluster. It was a little underwhelming. And that's fine. Because had it been anything more, we could have been going in the wrong direction. And I think it's for the best that we keep things as still as we can while we try and figure out what's going on and how we're going to address it, which is already hard enough to do with political ideologies trying to corrupt every last thing that happens for their political power. So, um, so that's that. So the last piece of news happened. This is like the second time, second or third time I've talked about Tucker Carlson on this show. But once again, he's jumped on conspiracy theory train and he said something that Honestly, it sounds like something Alex Jones would have said. Tucker Carlson thinks that that the FBI was involved in the January 6th Capitol riot. He tied together some crazy strings, let me tell you now. So, Tucker Carlson claiming on Fox News that FBI operatives were organizing the attack on the Capitol has been met with criticism online. The conservative host of Tucker Carlson Tonight made the claim on his broadcast on Tuesday, which media fatters... For Media Matters for America, excuse me, has labeled as a bizarre conspiracy theory. It means that in potentially every single case, they were FBI operatives, Carlson claimed on his show. Really? In the Capitol on July 6th? He cited an article by Revolver News that focused on the case of Thomas Caldwell, 66, a member of Oath Keepers, a far-right group that is considered one of the largest radical anti-government groups in, US, in the U.S. today, by, by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Mr. Caldwell is being indicted for his alleged involvement in the attempted coup during the certification of Joe Biden's victory in the presidential election. Carlson went on to say there were two unnamed people in the court documents that led to the man's indictment who were not charged. These two are not alone. Revolver News reported that there are 20 un 
unindicted co-conspirators in the Oath Keeper indictments all playing various roles in the conspiracy who have not yet been charged for virtually the exact same activities. Viewers on, of the clip took to Twitter to express their confusion at these claims. Quote, Tucker Carlson's late, latest take on the January 6th attack on the Capitol is that it was actually an FBI false flag. She continued comparing his conclusion to that of a shock of shock jock Alex Jones, who has banned from mainstream platforms such as Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook for a spread of misinformation. Tucker Carlson is heavily implying the FBI orchestrated the January 6th riot using the standard of proof you'd expect from Alex Jones, she tweeted. She went into detail why there might be unnamed people in the court documents, stating that there were actually people that people were cooperating with the federal investigation and therefore there was the potential to get out of prosecution or receive a lighter punishment for giving relevant information to the authorities. Um, that escalated fast. From almost certainly the FBI, seconds later he made it a sound official, according to the government documents, another user wrote. Um, what else is there? This is from a different uh, piece from salon.com. Uh, Actually, I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. This is just another example of ideology corrupting your perception of reality, in my opinion. It's Tucker Carlson saying something he wants to believe because he can't believe that his ideology is capable of doing harm. This is something I mentioned on the on the season four premiere back in January, after just a couple days after the after the January sixth Capitol riot, and. These ideologies are so ignorant, they're so incompetent, that they, they for some reason have not the ability to, to understand that they are capable of doing massive destruction and harm when they don't get what they want, because they don't see it right now. But the fact of the matter is they are. All of human history has dictated that ideologies are a narcissistic, self-righteous thing self-righteous monster, honestly, born of ignorance and destruction, and if you push them hard enough and keep them from getting the absolute utopia that they honestly believe that they can achieve if they're just given all power, they will get violent. And we've seen this with kings, with dictators, this is why genocides happen, this is what happens when an ideology isn't given what it wants on a silver platter. It tries to force it from you with a spear. And so... Tucker Carlson implying that the government was somehow involved with it is actually not MAGA people. It's just another example of ideology, ideology corrupting your perception of the truth to ensure that the delusion you've enforced in your head that you are the all-righteous, end-all, be-all to humanity's problems isn't wrong. But the fact of the matter is you are. You're capable of destruction when you're not um, given what you want on a silver platter and you've enforced these delusional beliefs about like uh, ideological superiority especially when that belief becomes dogmatic. Um, and so I think what's important to take away from this is that you can't get... You, that's why you don't want to get too engraved in these ideological biases, because ultimately ideologies just seem to be good for individuals. They seem to serve best to give some an individual uh, uh, values to live by. Once you start trying to force them on a nation, you just become despotic and tyrannical. That's what's always happened. So, I mean, that's there's not much else to say about that. Um... Before we go, I do want to say one more thing that I didn't add on here. Just recently, um, President Biden signed a bill into law that made Juneteenth, the holiday that will be celebrated on the day that this podcast comes out, a federal official holiday. And Juneteenth is essentially the celebration of the liberation of black 
uh, Americans. I suppose you could say black and brown, but we want to focus more specifically on black Americans surrounding the, um, I don't want to call it an incident because that underplays its effect, the horror of slavery. It's celebrated around the emancipation of slaves, but honestly, it's it's a celebration of liberation for black Americans in general. And... You know, there's plenty of things you can say about it. People are trying to play around with it. You can't celebrate. Shut up. No one cares. Um, I think it's fantastic that it's a holiday, like an official holiday. Um, and it's the first federal holiday to be instated since Martin Luther King Day in 1980-something. 19, yeah, I think it was 1980-something. I could be wrong. Maybe it was 1960-something. Um, but what I think's important about the holiday... Um, just forget everything I talked about. Like, I just want to z- a zone in for just a moment on Juneteenth and on that kind of struggle. With the... Uh, with the division and destruction surrounding race relations in the United States, with these propositions of critical race theory, with these propositions of uh, white supremacy and all of these objects and ideologies that are being enforced and fought about and... and violently, uh, 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 I don't know what the word I'm looking at, rioted over in our country right now. I think a celebration like this is actually nice. Um, because ultimately, while I have always believed your identity will never be important and that if we are to progress as a society intellectually, we have to let go of our ideological, not ideological, of our identity differences, such as our race and our sexual orientation, etc., I think it is important, though, to acknowledge the liberation of people who haven't always been able to enjoy the fruits of liberty that have been supposedly granted to all. I mean, one thing that a person cannot deny about the United States is that while it may stand as one of the greatest nations on the face of the planet, in the essence of that it is supposed to stand for the values of liberty for all, under the predisposition in that human beings are born with an innate sense of free will and that free will must be protected and preserved at all costs and that we that we have an obligation to people to allow them to live by the dictates of their own heart instead of the demands of an angry mob. It has not always been the truth that everyone has lived under such a such a a standard. Such a standard has only become universal just recently, and even then, its universal effect isn't truly universal, because there are so many forces that act under the false predisposition of ideological superiority and threaten that liberty for people who don't act a certain way that that ideology approves of. And talking on the issues of of race relations and the the liberation of black Americans, it's important to mention that freedom doesn't come without liberation and that celebrating that liberation is a very important and noble thing to do because in order to make the future more free, you have to be able to accept and not rationalize to accept and, uh, acknowledge the fact that the past wasn't as free. Um, Because if you don't, you're just going to be stuck in a perpetual loop of ignorance where you may potentially reenact such suppression of freedom. And 
I think that's important to mention on a day like Juneteenth now that it's a federal holiday. I think it's an excellent decision. I think it makes perfect sense that it was unanimous. It is always important to acknowledge that in order to make the future more free, you have to be willing to accept and acknowledge that the past wasn't as free. And if we are to supposedly, like, intellectually progress, we must admit that the, the people have not always lived equal lives, but that they can and they will if we act with certain, uh, with a certain resolve on the issue of the liberation of our fellow human beings. If we act under the, under the supposition that, that people have an innate freedom that cannot be restricted by anything, we must act with a firm resolve to stop anyone who tries to restrict such freedom. Because freedom comes with liberation. And that's why we celebrate liberation on Juneteenth. I think that's very important to mention. So, thanks so much for listening in. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Happy Juneteenth. And uh, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.